Track by track with me, Dan. And me, Will. This is the podcast where we take a great pop music album and break it down, track by track. And we've got a special guest with us this week on line one, because there's only one line, it's Tom Aspel. Hey, hello. Hi. Hello. I'm clapping as well. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you for I'm having me. Sound oh, yeah. We need that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. How are you both? Oh, wonderful. It's great to finally get you on because I know we've bounced back and forth normally on twitter around kind of like we've got to do a track by track on black country disco we've got to get you on yeah and now we're finally here finally one year after the event we made it an occasion i love it yep and that's a really good point we're talking about black country disco today because it's one year ago today since it was released but also this is all part of our three-year anniversary and today is your track by track Tuesday three year anniversary Ooh. episode. What a, congratulations! Love, uh, oh, thank you, and congratulations to you as well. What a year it's been! Oh, thank you so much. No, um, I don't know what I was doing three years ago. <laughs> I'm trying to think. 2018. Oh, I can tell you actually, my appendix burst on the 19th of September that year. So very close to this. But the last year has been a lot more positive for you. I mean, uh, we've had Black Country Disco, we've had Black Country Disco Tech. Yeah. Uh, and now you're you're on tour, you're out there with people again. Yeah, oh my God, uh, it's been mad. I'm um, absolutely exhausted sitting here, my back is hurting because I was doing something. I shouldn't, I don't know what I was doing, but I was, <laughs> yeah. So I'm having such a good time. Um, I don't know how. People that do real tours do it because <laughs> absolutely exhausted just after a few weeks. But yes, it's been amazing and um, the nicest feeling in the world really to have people singing uh, those songs back to me. And, and at time of recording, you were last, I think you were last in, was it Glasgow at the weekend? Yeah, I was in Glasgow. I was wearing a kilt. Um, it was at SWG3. It was with the lovely guys from Obsession um they dj'd afterwards and it was just i think it was the first legal weekend where we could do it in scotland so um the vibe i hate saying vibe but the the (laughs) the feeling was wonderful it was like a real um everyone was super excited and on their best and yeah i just had the best time and glasgow crowds are notoriously um hard i think to crack but they loved it. They loved it. And they were chanting for more. And I didn't have any more because I've only released one <laughs> album. From, yeah, from what we've seen on, on socials, it looks like you're having the time of your life up there on stage. Yeah, no, I feel like I'm making the most of it. <laughs> <laughs> but the crowd as well. I've never, I, looking at the photos, I haven't seen so many people in the crowd losing themselves. Like oh your my God, audience yeah. just love getting, like, they do. Being taken away with you. I, yeah, no, I love, I love um, riling them up. Yeah, it's just, I think people have just really missed that sense of being in a room and knowing songs, loving songs, singing them. Like, I think it is a real 
it's been such a long time coming and it's it's for everyone it's not it's not just me and my crowds it's every sort of live event that i've seen whether it's like a drag brunch or a gig or a show everyone's just so up for it across the country and um i'm sort of reaping the rewards i guess it keeps growing i keep getting booked for new things and i'm like stop i want <laughs> i just i just want to lie down like i'm 34 i'm not i'm not cut out for this but i i'm no it's it's i'm having such a good time so we're here today to talk about black country disco uh celebrating its first birthday Tom, what was the inspiration behind this album? It uh, well, I've obviously I've been writing songs for a very long time um, for lots of different people and releasing my own music as well as an artist, sort of semi sporadically. Um, but I never was able to put my full uh, attention or weight behind anything. It was always kind of on the back burner and an afterthought and specifically living in London I wasn't making enough as a songwriter so I had to have a second job and a third job to be able to pay for my rent um, and towards the end of my time in London which I was there for 12 years um, I was working like two different jobs I was DJing and I literally had zero time for myself as an artist which was really horrible but I was in a relationship and we were living together and obviously when you're in these situations, it's very comfortable and changing one thing is um, upsets the balance and then you have to reassess everything and I just couldn't be bothered. Um, but then we did eventually split up. So once I moved, I moved back home um, to the Midlands, I had a lot more time um, and a lot more sort of energy to give this idea of me as an artist rather than just a songwriter. And I guess all the visual side of things as well, that kind of all came around the same time. I had a very specific vision that it would be sort of disco themed um, and sort of very retro looking like 1970s, 1980s. Uh, I knew I was going to bleach my hair white. I knew I was going to have the mustache and I just I had it all in my head and it kind of it, um, we designed a logo fairly quickly. And I wanted to reference like uh, Black Sabbath and Slade and all those sort of West Midlands icons, really. ELO, people like that. I'm sure I'm missing out loads of points along the way. but um, I'm sure we'll come to them through the, you know, it's, it's yeah, very yeah. autobiographical, isn't it? I'm sure we're going to get to those bits through the album. I would say so. It it definitely, as you as you listen to the album, everything happens in sequence, kind of as it happened in real life. So it starts with me being in London, being unhappy um, and working as a songwriter, but also I was working as a receptionist and a DJ and I was just sort of not sure what was happening with my life and sort of feeling very insecure about myself. Then my relationship sort of starts to break down and I kind of write about that. And then we do split up. And then by now you're sort of in track four or five. And then the second half of the album is once I moved back home to the West Midlands, going through all of that and then kind of coming out the other side. It's quite it's quite funny now. I haven't actually spoken about it in such detail for such a long time because I've just been going around singing the songs as if they're just like pop songs from something else. But actually, when I think about it, it's quite 
a lot. Should we get stuck into the to the songs? Should we um yeah. get the record on and let's and let's go for it. Um because I'm sure there's much more to 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 come out through the tracks themselves. Oh my god. So <laughs> <laughs> So side on track one, we're going we're kicking off uh, with Black Country intro um yeah. which is a just under a minute and you can hear that playing underneath us as we're talking now and how important was it for you to kind of set this album up with this with this intro and to go in with something that isn't a full track it was uh, it was really important actually i was really inspired by again electric light orchestra and uh, madonna um, particularly con- the Confessions album because they were sort of um, ELO have have an album called Out of the Blue which has a whole section that's like a, almost like a musical where there's thunderstorms and interludes and intros and outros and Madonna obviously has the continuous mix version of Confessions on the Dance Floor and I really wanted to treat this almost like an opera where there was a beginning, middle and an end and it almost has that operatic feel to it and you sort of just come into the song and it sounds like you're in a, a party um which is what I intended I wanted it to feel like uh to set the scene um but there was also another practical reason behind this and that was close to me when we were working on the first few songs I was working with the producer Gil Lewis um and we were always really cognizant of the fact that we needed songs to be really short and because in terms of like getting playlists on Spotify, now looking back, that was silly, really. Um, and so we had this whole section of intro that we cut out to make the song two minutes and 50. And so putting the intro back in was just a way of sort of like showcasing that lovely piece of music at the intro, which is just the, the like four part vocal harmony and I have to say, um, I, I love, and we, we talk about it a lot actually, I love an intro on an album because it really does like add, a lot of the music we listen to, I think uh, it's kind of, there's a theatrical element to it. Yeah. Um, so it's often synth pop, a lot of it at the core, but we love like the theatrics of like Pet Shop Boys and as you said before, Madonna. Yeah. Um, I love that scene setting. Also, you talked about Madonna's Confessions. I have to say that is the best running album ever, especially yeah. the complete sequence one. I haven't been for a run since last I was September. Say, so when were you last time running? It's, actually, it's another one year anniversary since I last went for a run. <laughs> oh, I mean, you Perfect. can't. You, that's, yeah, that's, that's it. You can't. You can't be blamed. We just love that. I mean, just like an album as its own listening experience, and you know, as a fan of me, of 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 an artist and of pop music, it is kind of something to get excited about when an album comes out, knowing it's going to be completely different to just listening to the singles when you see it, when you hear it all together. Mm, yeah. And in, and just continuously like that. Well, first and foremost, I'm a music fan. So I always wanted to go hard in that sense and not just do 10 tracks. That being said for my second album, I'm probably going to just do 10 tracks <laughs> because I don't want to just be the guy that does like fucking I don't know what we're we calling them concept albums all the time. Um, it's nice to give give something different, but I mean that's not to say I appreciate both. But it's it's lovely specifically with this with this album because there's such a story behind it. It needed that. Um, but sometimes you just want to throw on like a record and it's all different. So track two is close to me. I sure that it's me. 
to that close to me. There's something about this one. I love, we talked about the intro, how it kind of leads into what we know uh, to be Black Country Disco. People going into this album, they would have, uh, or from what they would have heard of you before, they expect, you know, fantastic pop music. But I love this. There's something about the guitar at the start of this song. It's kind of, actually, it's a little bit surprising, I think. When I wrote this, this was the first song I wrote for the album. So I didn't ever think at the time this is going to be track one. Oh, I mean, it's track two, but I mean, you know what I mean? Um, the first full song. Um, so I wasn't ever thinking about that element. I just wanted it to sound like a sort of 1970s sort of schlager song. Almost a bit the Nolans as well. That was a, that was a reference. Um, and there's a German girl group called Arabesque. <laughs> That was another reference that I gave to Gil. But I literally just, I was walking home from work and I just, the the sort of like plodding bass came into my head. The chorus as well. Uh, and also I really wanted to have the line born in Wolverhampton because I don't know why these things all just sort of happen at once. Um, and then I finished writing the song in the bath that night, which was funny, with my with my phone. Um, and I might even have the recordings actually on my phone. Um, I really wanted to do something quite 70s um, and sonically. Yeah, the Nolans, Arabesque, ABBA is a big reference that runs throughout everything. And I wanted real guitars as played by um, Gil Lewis. And it was the second single and I released it about three weeks after Traces and no one heard it because Traces was still doing its thing. So it kind of went under the radar, I think, until the album was released. And then it's in prominent place on the album. So then, you know, it's... it does get all those sort of like initial first plays. Yeah. Which is good because it was really struggling for a while. I was like, do people really hate it? <laughs> for some reason, I don't know why, but the stems, so the, the musical parts for it that I gave my musical director for the live tour are about four BPM slower. So if you see me doing it live, it's, it's so slow. I'm literally like, it's so like plodding. It's literally like the Thomas the Tank Engine theme tune. Um, but people love it. They like singing back the sort of um, call and response. The yes, I let you down that bit. Um, and it's nice because where, wherever I am touring, I like to change the lyrics to um, wherever I am, which is fun. And have you gotten used to people singing your songs back at you? No. Because that must be really strange when you first have that. Yeah, it is really strange because I have never done until this, until last month, I'd never done a, a headlining show. So everyone... Every tour I'd been on or show I'd done, I was always a support artist. And so everybody in that room was there to see the person I was supporting. And so only a very small amount of people would know my music. So it's actually, it's really weird. Um, and it's lovely. It's a really nice feeling. Um, I love it when people get it wrong and they're on the front row. <laughs> <laughs> that would be me. That would 100%. That will be me. 
So let's move on now to track number three, and this is Carnelian. Oh, amount of people who ask me what that is and I'm like oh just google it for god's sake I love Carnelian Stones so I wanted a song called Carnelian I became a bit of a witch like three or four years ago I really got into like <laughs> Wicca <laughs> um which I had a song called Back to Earth which is all about that um but I had um I'm wearing it now actually I had like a Carnelian Stone that I wear around my chest and I think, I mean, I've read so many different things about the meanings behind it and what it means, but more or less, it's always about like courage and inner strength, um, which sounds really corny. These these things you have to cling on to, don't you? It, it like very hard, tumultuous times. I I started that song with the song title and worked backwards, which is rare for me. I wrote it on June the 14th in 2019, which was... The same day I went to see the Spice Girls at Wembley. What a time to be alive. Um, it was more or less like what you hear on the final product is, is more or less the demo. Like we just didn't do anything to it because I just liked it how it was. I came up with the demo and then I brought it to Gil. And yeah, it's just it is what it is. If you listen to the lyrics, it's about me being very paranoid about the end of uh, my previous relationship. Yeah, that's pretty much that song. And I think it's a bit of a fan favourite, Carnelian, because the reception I get when I sing it is is wild. Especially like the the bridge, the pre-chorus, the are you satisfied? Everyone loves that. <laughs> I don't blame them. Um, but I absolutely love the Bright Light, Bright Light remix. I thought it brought out a real um, tenderness to it and a real sort of... Um, emotive quality uh, he kind of slowed it right down uh, it's the same tempo but he just did it on the half beat and it, it feels like a like a madonna like song from the 90s from erotica or something it's it's got a really nice vibe to it so thanks rod So that was track four, Tender there. And yeah. for me, this and track three, very reminiscent of like very disco-y, Donna Summery, had that, really have that kind of disco, 70s disco vibe. Yeah, it's definitely in that ballpark. We were listening to um, a lot of Italo disco in the studio for this one, for the demo at least. Um, there's a song in particular by Ryan Paris called Dolce Vita. And we sort of lifted the bass sound from that. It's a real classic Italo disco song. This magic's gone in the Dolce Vita. Nobody else than you. 
That's one of my favourite songs of all time, actually. I'm just writing that down, actually, because I love a bit of Italian disco. Oh, you'll love it. Um, Ryan Paris. So that was the initial inspiration. Um, and then I think it's got real um, Madonna vibes to it as well. Sort of like early two, first two albums of hers. Yeah, Donna Summer is a big influence as well. I just... I don't know when um, Christina Aguilera did that album back to basics and it was, I think she was like ripped in the press because her inspiration was like from the 1920s through to like the sixties. And that was like, it was just brass basically from that. That's what I've done with this record. It's just like the seventies, the eighties, whatever. But I, um, yeah, I was listening to a lot of Italo disco. I mean, the actual summer that this whole record was written, I, like I previously said, I'd been to Glastonbury and I spent a lot of time in Block 9, NYC Downlow, with loads of drag queens, listening to disco every night. I missed Kylie Minogue because I was there. <gasps> I know. Big, I was, big, big gay gasp then. I know. Well, well, I got an album out of it. So I, I did though. I, I, was just, <laughs> I was just having the best time backstage with my friend Joe... I at the on the last night I dragged up as Victoria Beckham um and joined them on stage for some pointing. I just I think as, when I came home as well to um uh stay with my parents my mom is a big fan of of all this music and being here was so kind of uh it just brought back all these memories of being like a child and my mom playing all these records so it all kind of comes out in the songs and how they sound and how the demo sounded and tender i wrote literally the day or the day after i'd broken up with my ex so it was very fresh at that point and my main um worry was like we'd been together for five years at that point i was just looking at myself i would have been 32 or 33 and i was like how on earth am i gonna start all over again and find someone new and get to this point where you know them so well and you know everything about them and you know you've built your lives together how on earth am I going to go through all of that and come out the other side and I'm going to be like what 40 and I know that's not old but it's just at that point that was my concern it was like I'm too old to be starting relationships again which is why the first line is I don't think that I could start again and just for the record, Tom, 40 is not old. No, I know. I know it's not. I know. It's not. It's not even about age, really, because I don't I don't think I had um, a proper relationship before this one. And so when we did meet, I would have been about 27. So it's like it's not really about age. It's just it, it took me so long to to then get to the point where I'd because obviously like dated loads of people, but never really had a relationship with them so I think that was my my main concern when when, uh, when writing I was like what the fuck am I gonna do now Oh. So 
traces there and uh unfortunately uh dan for our listeners they're not getting what we're getting which is a little bit of a semi-live uh vocal impromptu along the tracks, which impromptu performance from me <laughs> Uh, so this was this was a huge huge track, and this was the first um, song of yours that I heard that first kind of drew me into your music. Wow. And I can remember us talking about this yeah. on a one of our was it a new music drop or a self isolation special edition? Oh, I, um, rem- I remember I remember something about this. Mm. Yeah. And I think it was the first time as well that we talked about you on Track by Track. Uh, first of many occasions then, subsequently. But I think this is what got us hooked. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, Traces came out in October 2019. It was the first song um, from the record. Um, and I would say it is possibly the least sort of disco-y of all of them. I think it's got possibly uh, production wise i think it's um most current sounding it was like almost like a a bridge into the rest of black country disco which i think is like a disco pastiche pretty much for that reason like completely unexpectedly this song was put on new music friday um which is for an independent artist like such a nice validating feeling um and i think to be fair, possibly that exposure was what hooked in a lot of people. Um, so I'm really grateful for that because I haven't had it since. Um, but yeah, Traces for me um, initially wasn't going to be the first single. I think we were going to go with uh, Tender probably. We had a real tough time finishing it and getting it right. And it went through so many revolutions and so many different versions. Um I still even wasn't 100% certain I liked it when I released it. And that is the truth. Because I didn't... I mean, I liked it, obviously. I liked it enough to release it. But I was always like, it's weird. It's quite weird. It's not about my relationship ending. This is just sort of like something that I threw into the mix. And I wrote it about my friend uh, who committed suicide. Which is, again, another horrible topic. Um, and really dark. But... Um, I, uh, I was sitting at a friend's at a party and everyone went upstairs and I was just left on my own and I was either really drunk or tired or I don't know, but I started to really like smell his cologne. I started to like really feel like he was in the room, whether or not it's a hallucination or I don't believe in any of that, but it was such a weird sensation that I just had to go home and write about it. And um, really sad. It's obviously like a really sad subject. Um, But also there's, I don't know, there's something quite uplifting about it. I left it in because I felt like it went with the the themes of loss. And going through a breakup is is like grief, really. And it kind of just slotted perfectly into the narrative. And I always left it ambiguous because I thought people can read into it however they want to read it because it could be romantic, it could be whatever, it could be a family member for all I know. I just feel like it was perfect for that part of the album. Again, weird to sing it live and to be so (laughs) (laughs) so celebratory. But my friend who who did die, he was a musician and 
he was um one of the reasons i started doing what i what i do pretty much he was one of the first people to encourage me to upload stuff to soundcloud which is how i got found by m and ek and and other people so i have him to thank for everything really and this album is dedicated to him and then to have m and ek remix it and make it into this really fab like 90s dance track <laughs> Is brilliant because he was again really instrumental in the beginning of my career, so it's a lovely full circle moment for sure. So, track six is Houston, and again, a bit of an instrumental this one, so playing beneath us. This one, uh, I may be wrong, I like to think this is your uh, your version of Pet Shop Boys King's Cross. Oh, I see, it's a oh, different yeah. station. Well, yeah, they would be going up to the northeast wouldn't they so (laughs) i did actually that's recorded using my iphone holding it up to a tannoy (laughs) for me living in wolverhampton uh, well living in london and coming back to wolverhampton all the time houston's like this place that you go to and i always used to get really excited whenever i stepped foot in houston and i don't think many people can say that because it's just a horrible concrete building but and it's got the shittest food options. Like it's improving sl- slightly, but it just for me getting Houston goes to all the best places like Glasgow, Manchester, Liverpool. I just I just always get excited whenever I'm there because I know I'm about to go on a journey, and whether it's to go home or to see friends. I just thought in terms of this album and the narrative, it really does put you. Um, on the journey with me really like leaving london behind um getting the train and (laughs) i also really love the instrumental uh intro from uh jungle gardenia which is the claire Maguire song that we sampled for this so i wanted it to be more um what's the word prevalent (laughs) and on houston i've got to agree i was there recently couldn't wait to have a prep because since not going into work, I've not had a prep. There was no prep in Houston. There's nothing. They haven't got a McDonald's. Is there an upper upper crust? Well, I had to go to upper crust, but I was, <laughs> as I said, let's go to upper crust. The person I was with, oh, oh, I was just gonna say they've got um, a Leon, <laughs> which oh, is really good. I love a Leon. I nearly went to Leon. Then we went to upper crust. Then we we're running out of time. But someone had told me a story about being in the queue for upper crust. And seeing a pigeon flying into like the display of baguettes, yeah, and the and then flew off, or the 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 team there got rid of it, and they just kind of like brushed the feathers off the sandwiches and then just kept serving them. That so, sounds about right. Yeah, my least favorite sandwich I've ever had, probably. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> so let's go into the track that it sees into. Then this is number seven. So WM there, and of course from the station, this is kind of the turning point of the album, isn't it? And the turning point of your own journey, I suppose, as well. Yeah, it's the beginning of Side B. Because when I did come up with 
the track listing, I wanted it to be two distinct sides. One where it's like the relationship ending and one the aftermath in the West Midlands. Um, obviously, I did the journey by train. But then when I came back to get all my stuff, <clears throat> I was with my dad in a van. I kind of just, yeah, wrote about that experience, which is, yeah, back to a place where it all began. It's just the weirdest feeling, really. I hadn't lived in the Midlands since I was 14. I did like the line, what have I done? That kind of just went around my head so many times because my whole life was in London, my jobs, my friends, everything. So that was the impetus for WM. Um, And I'd been at home for roughly a month and I hadn't seen a soul. I just um, sort of hibernated and was writing this album. And one of my friends, Ruth, was in Wolverhampton and she said she was going to, she was from, she lived in uh, Manchester, but she was back in Wolverhampton. She said she was going out and it was a friend, a friend's mom's 60th and it was at a social club in Wolverhampton. And I was like, oh yeah, I can't, like, um, <laughs> this sounds great. Um, from Soho House to this. Yeah. Like sounds amazing. Two pound drinks and a big disco oh. ball. I was like, fucking hell, get me in there. Like with the lovely beige buffet. I mean, blow me, there was a literal disco ball. The music they were playing was like the Gap Band. And it was just like I was in Black Country Disco. That's how it felt. Um, It was a massive release. I hadn't touched alcohol or anything. I was just like, I went on one. And we ended up going to Wolverhampton's only gay bar, which is called Gorgeous. And it closes at six. And I actually ended up staying out that night. Um... I won't go into any details and it was just, I really needed to do it. And I, 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 and and this is the God's honest truth. I, Ruth texts me at like six and I had to be there at like eight because the food was then and blah, blah, blah. I wrote WM in those two hours based on all the excitement I was feeling. Yeah. I remember I had always planned out on, doing a song sampling that Claire Maguire song, uh, Jungle Gardenia, uh, which was like a demo of hers that she released. Um, I just loved the chords at the beginning. So I just, on Logic, I just set up a loop of that and I wrote all about my experience, about moving back and about how. So, um, and the song itself, Jungle Gardenia, is, she told me it was about Paris is burning. It's about one of the queens about their family life and how their parents don't accept them. And I thought just the idea behind that all like quite neatly segues into me coming home and having been like, obviously like in a gay relationship in London and living my like fab queer life and then coming back to the Midlands and having to sort of like adjust to that. Um, especially because I live in a really small town where there's literally no, I don't live in Wolverhampton. I live out of Wolverhampton. There's literally no gay bars. There's nothing. I'm not saying that's the be all and end all, but it's like having to sort of really re reassess everything. And so the idea that that song was originally about that was drew me into it. And then we have um, the Metro here, which um, there is literally just one line. Um, And it goes between Wolverhampton and Birmingham. I was trying to make a statement on how little investment there is in the West Midlands. Because there isn't. Like, there's literally shit public transport. 
if you're out, you have to get the last train home at like half 11. It's just, I mean, no one listening to this is going to be able to do anything about it. <laughs> but but it was... <laughs> you never know. You never know. Well, do you know what? They are actually building a new line on the Metro. So maybe it's something to do with that. Um, but I, I just want, I kind of wanted, after Traces being so heavy and Tender being so heavy, you can tell, I think, from the song, there's such a like excitement in the lyrics, even though it's still sad. It's like, I'm heartbroken, but I'm just going to go out and have a really good time because actually I'm really happy to be out of it and to be here. I love all the shitty neon lights and I love the gray sky. I do. And it's like, it was like a real nice kind of acceptance of where I'm from, where I am and where I possibly could be going. Well, if we're, if we're talking lyrics, we need to, we must mention Victoria Beckham. Yeah. So segueing back to what I was talking about I spent all of summer in like I went to um Glastonbury I was actually camped next to Brooklyn Beckham <laughs> and at about four in the morning I got a ghetto blaster and started playing out of your mind uh, <laughs> oh my god <laughs> dressed as Victoria Beckham with a black um sort of like jumpsuit on with a wig a very sharp bob um and throughout the whole summer i went to the the concert at wembley stadium in drag as victoria beckham um emma bunton's husband jade took a picture with me because we were in like the friends and family enclosure uh so it was like the summer of victoria beckham uh (laughs) i was just i think i dragged up as her about four or five times so she was very much at the the forefront of my head and I just wanted to include her in some way. Just give a nod to the Spice Girls as well, because I'm just such a big Spice Girls fan. Um, and yeah, are you out of your head? Are you out of your mind if you let your head go? So it's two of her classic tracks um, in one go. And to be fair, it works really well. Like, why has no one done that before? <laughs> that chorus feels like an end of show. It's, you know, it's such a huge chorus. And hands th- in the air moment. Hands in the air. And this song just in general is just everything that we love about pop music, incredible playful synths, funk guitar, that soaring chorus, a little bit of tongue in cheek as well with the lyrics. It's just what, it's, it just com- perfectly sort of encapsulate, encapsulates. Encapsulates. Captures. Encaptures. <laughs> what we love about pop music. Uh, Dan, do I need to get the wet floor sign out? I think you might have to, yeah. Also, I'm, uh, I'm going to get a real bollocking for this when we go off air. I think this is the first song we played from tom yeah this is the first song i heard of yours i think you're right because oh two against one (laughs) (laughs) also is this the one kylie put on the infinite disco playlist she did bless her she put this one and dead already on as well which i was like what (laughs) okay um and i uh Obviously did the remix of this with uh, Kim Wilde, but not many people know. Originally, uh, I was planning on having uh, Miss Danny Minogue uh, on this song. Yeah. Big gay gasping. (laughs) And I absolutely love uh, Danny. uh, And I think it might have been because it was on her sister's playlist that she knew the song. I don't know. I, I could be wrong. We obviously did the whole track by track thing, and I think I was on her radar because of that. But it didn't happen because so much was going on in December and January. She was doing like a fashion line, QVC, yeah, yeah. QVC, and um, Kim and I were already discussed 
in discussions about You're My Karma, which I was a single on her greatest hits that I did with her. So I actually was cheeky and I just said, actually, why don't you do my WM remix? And it was like one of those things where everything worked out just right. So track number eight now, uh, and we just mentioned it, uh, Dead Already, Save Yourself. Yes. save yourself would we you know we said at the start we said throughout this episode we're not you know we've said for three years we're not the most musically minded people we just love pop music yeah in fact i think when you said time signature earlier i think that's the first time that phrase has ever been said on an episode of track by track oh my Um, god so you might have confused some of the listeners there they might have stopped listening after that this one would we call that bossa nova-esque that intro yeah way off the mark that would be correct yeah bossa nova i would say the biggest influence behind this was George McRae, Rock Your Baby. So that's got a kind of bossa nova feel to it. And, um, it was kind of around this time in like October of 2019, Traces had already come out. I was obviously super thrilled with the reaction to Traces. So I think my songwriting became um, more confident. I'm sorry, it's just a motorbike has just gone past. Um, my songwriting... Kimmy. Be- it's Kim, yeah. Oh, she's staring at me. What? She's right. She's fine. Yeah, she's pissed off. Um, I said a bit earlier when you talked about Kim Wilde, and you, but you just said Kim, and for a split second, I thought you were talking about little Kimmy. Oh, there are th- like there's three Kims in my life: Catral, Wilde, and Kim Sue. <laughs> oh no, no Woodburn. Oh, oh, I mean Woodburn's all right, but she's not life changing. Um, <laughs> I so yeah, it was October. I was feeling more confident in my songwriting abilities, and so I was. I thought I was being really clever with this, and I'd written two demos: one called "Save Yourself." And one called Dead Already. And I couldn't finish either of them. So I just put them together and it, it actually worked out really well. And de- the Dead Already part of it was kind of influenced by George McRae. And was like quite a slow, sexy bossing over number, like you said. Lyrically, it's, you know, it's really self-explanatory. It's like the aftermath of a relationship. We can't be together, but I don't really want to be a friend. But... We don't really know what's going to happen either. So it's just kind of like, what is going on? And then also in the chorus, it's all about how I kind of I knew I was losing out on a lot because I'd lost my house, my job, loads of friends, blah, 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 blah. But even though everything had gone to shit, I wasn't going to stay or try and make things work in London because that would just be going back. So I was really resigned to the fact that I was going to stay where I was and make it here. Obviously, there are parts to it that are really wistful. Um, You know, like, I won't forget you, um, but I just need to, like, take some time to deal with this. And that's pretty true to this day. Like, it's just about giving 
yourself some distance from that person to allow yourself to come to terms with it and get over it in your own time. Yeah, dead already sounds quite dramatic, but it's similar to like the line in Tender where it's like sleepwalking through our lives. That's how it felt, really. It was like there was just nothing there to fight for, really. So it's like, what's the point? We were dead already. And then the end was another demo that I made called Save Yourself, which was influenced by Dancing Queen by ABBA. Like we ripped that right off. And <laughs> um, and the lyrics, I couldn't think of anything apart from you've got to save yourself. But I really do um, stick by that because at the end of the day, I spent a lot of time fannying around, not really fulfilling, you know, my creativity or anything. And it took something as drastic as a relationship ending for me to realize if I want something done, I need to do it myself. And that's kind of where that line com comes from. It's like, you've, you've got to save yourself because nothing else will. <laughs> so track number nine now, this is 01902. Now would you like to And if I'm not mistaken, Tom, this one, this and the next song are the two ones that you solely produced. Is that right? Yeah, out of necessity, really. Um, so Dead Already, Save Yourself was written in October of 2019. And then 01902 was written in June of 2020. Um, so there's quite a big gap. Uh, but between then, obviously, the shit hit the fan and um, I we were all trapped where we were and I had no choice really but to learn how to produce and to finish the album um and so I did I and I literally I had a crap laptop so I took out a loan which I'm still paying off and I got a laptop I got a, a MacBook Pro I bought all the equipment uh, like new keyboard new microphone and Gil, who produced the other 75% of the album, he um, sort of taught me through it and helped a lot, definitely. He mixed it as well. Um, and probably, to be fair to him, he's probably not told me, he probably did shitloads of production on it as well. But, <laughs> but that being said, no, I did. I produced all of it. And I've always been able to come up with uh, demos. For instance, Indiana... Um, most of the stems I came up with, I just gave them to Emily K and he did his magic. Um, and I've always been able to do it, but I've never been able to finish anything to a sound that I think is uh, good enough, really. Um, so presented with this dilemma, you know, I've been telling everyone I'm releasing an album this year called Black Country Disco and it's June and... <laughs> It hasn't materialised and I've got, what, seven or eight songs and an album needs to be at least nine or ten. And I just, yeah, I had to do it. And I remember it was June. It was really hot. Um, my dad was building some kind of veranda in the back garden. So there's constantly saws and drills and like 
it was and I had this um the spare room in my mum and dad's house where I had like three mattresses um as a recording studio. It was sweltering hot. And all I remember is just listening to a lot of Gloria Estefan at the time. <laughs> and um and Pet Shop Boys, like I said, I've been listening to them quite a lot. The song is about an incident that happened in the December of 2019. Obviously, like I was living with my parents, so I can't really bring people back here um, for a fun time. So I was chatting to someone on an app and we booked a hotel. And that's what this is about. And it was in 01902, which is the area code for Wolverhampton. Um, and I remember it happened in the week between Christmas and New Year. And afterwards, I was like elated. I was like, oh, my God, finally. I didn't I didn't write about it because obviously loads of stuff happened between between December and June. Um, but by the time I was sort of ready to do it, I, I did. And I wrote 01902 in an evening. And I knew I wanted to include the line, would you like to live deliciously? Because I'm a big fan of... Again, the whole Wicker thing, um, which it's a film called The Witch, uh, which a lot of the symbology in that is like pagan and lots of like satanic symbols. And I was just like something about being really naughty and going to a hotel and shagging someone just felt like it worked for that moment. Uh, it's, it, I think New York City Boy was a big influence for the, the Sonic element of it and blind by hercules and love affair i think was another one i wanted it to be really fast i kind of knew at this point what the album needed because dead already is quite slow traces is quite slow close to me is quite slow it's just carnelian and wm that were really quite fast so i wanted it like four to the floor let's have a big it's called black country disco so let's go ham on the disco so let's have like the the slap bass the strings yeah it was it was it was it all kind of came together really nicely. The ending, like the outro was it's probably my favorite bit where it all changes up and the chords change. And again, I left the lyrics really purposefully ambiguous. It's actually a mistake where I say, take off your shoes, take off your trainers. Um, and a lot of people have pointed that out and been like, well, I'm just going to leave it up to you what you think. Maybe there was more than one of it, more than two of us in that hotel room. <laughs> It's just like a, I, this is actually, this is my favorite song to perform. Um, I always make sure I'm topless. I love to get into the audience. I just make orgasm noises. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I've watched back some of the videos. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm like writhing around on the floor. It's very like a virgin at the VMAs. This certainly puts you into like that. I could just be in a 80s gay disco with lots of played and moustaches and sweat yeah. going on it's and th that sounds like just the sort of atmosphere you are creating when you're performing this live i'm trying <laughs> <laughs> i was getting real george michael disco vibes from this one yeah um and with the backing vocals because i i love the don't give it up. Don't ever stop the repetition and the backing vocals oh and I could, i'd love to hear pepsi and shirley on those actually Oh, yeah, they're still knocking around. Let's get them on. They are. They've got a new book out, I think. So so we're on to the last track of the album. Uh, so this is title track, Black Country lie. Disco. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Anywhere I go, anywhere I don't even care. I can take him off with me, fall in love, I can't leave him there. Baby. Anywhere I go, anywhere I don't even care. So what you try to tell me, don't tell me I should stop. Uh -huh. 
country disco there that is what a great way to end this album it's got such a great energy to it hasn't it yeah no petering out no petering out here yeah well it's funny you should say a lot of well my friend kiara said that she thinks it sounds like the close like the the titles the end like a film like and i kind of get that to be fair it i mean i'm not saying that it ends with 01902 with like this big orgasm and then it's like it is kind of like the rolling titles it's like it that's how it feels to me anyway and that's not to do a disservice to the song because i think it stands alone as well on its own but when it's part of the album it really does feel like it's like the denouement almost mm. um but yeah i wrote this about um in january of 2020 i spent a month in australia so both 01902 and black country disco were written about things that happened pre-pandemic but they were recorded uh in the june of 2020 so this one was concurrent with 01902 it was around about the same time so it's a really hot sweaty summer vibe and i was just looking back at my time in australia and how much fun i had and it's like learning to be yourself as a single person is quite a big deal because you've spent your whole past five years sort of like sharing your life with someone and you kind of merge into one person almost. Um, and Black Country Disco, for me, uh, it's it's the title track because it kind of describes how I feel. And it's like I came away from this uh, learning to sort of be myself again. And like I can go anywhere, I can do anything and I don't care because I'm just on my own. And that's what the main lyrical uh, concept is. And obviously, like, if only I could see through time is me talking to myself when I wrote Close to Me or Tender or Cornelian. It's like, if I if only I'd known how I, how I was going to be, then everything would have been fine because actually it did turn out all right. The words Black Country Disco aren't really mentioned until the end when it's spelled out. And that's kind of like a, italo disco sort of throwback idea that i had and it's definitely an idea that gil would have said no to <laughs> and when you talk about like moving on to a new a new era a new phase are you going to be moving on geographically as well or is it more no, just about the music change i yeah well, I've, I've started writing album two and i've done six songs and i want to write 20 and then pick the 10 best ones and there's like a, a vague theme. I'm definitely, I'm in a new, sonically, I'm in a new time for sure. Like we're not referencing the 70s and 80s. Like it's not really disco. Um, there might be like a disco song, but that's because disco is like perennial and it kind of just keeps coming back. But I just think if I was to come back with like Black Country Disco 2, I wouldn't have developed or, you know, it, I don't think it, even though it's it's actually really difficult and I'm still tussling with it in my head because I want to be able to move on, but everything that I could possibly write about is still lingering on from that time period, if that makes sense, it's in terms yeah. of like, you know, where I'm at emotionally and with what happened and with my friends and the aftermath of this like big upheaval is still kind of like, ring, like ringing in my ears a little bit. Um... But, you know, as I get to live my life a bit more, hopefully that'll be less and less and I can talk talk about new experiences. Uh, oh. uh, and just the final, final thing before we wrap up for today. Yeah. We must talk a little bit about uh, Black Country Discotheque. Oh, yeah. Uh, and just some of the fantastic uh, additional 
uh, tracks and remixes on there. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it was never meant to be this huge, humongous project, but it turned out to be this big thing where every single song was remixed at least once some were remixed twice there's like extended versions and then there's a brand new song and two cover versions it was it was huge but to be fair it was during the second lockdown when i did all of it you know like december january february so it's almost like part two of black country disco um and it has been it was an incredible experience to um, work with so many amazing people, mostly queer. That's like, that was my main aim was to try and work with as many LGBT plus artists as possible um, to highlight some people who were just kind of starting out in their career, but also to work with some really established artists as well. People who I look up to like Bright Light, Bright Light and Emanike. And then obviously like getting Kim Wilde, has has just been an absolute dream and her her and um ricky her brother are, are the nicest people wonderful zoom calls with them and emails back and forth and it's just like it's surreal to me i'd literally go next door to my mom and dad be like oh that was kim wilde just now (laughs) it's like (laughs) so funny and i absolutely love her and her discography and i've become such a such a bigger fan than i was um and she did a great job on wm and like having emanike on the traces remix is because it's such a dark song really when you think about it but his version is so light and fun and i think we're doing some writing for my second album uh at the end of this month um so just to have him like cheerleading for me is is wonderful because he doesn't have to like he's literally one of the most successful songwriters and yeah he's just been such an incredible support and then there are so many other amazing um, collaborators brendan mclean i mean all of this was done with zoom calls and uh, emails it's amazing what you can do with technology and i absolutely love it i'm really proud of it it's not like the most accessible album that you can just whack on and it's like because it's you know there's some of the songs are like seven minutes long um but i'm just really proud of each individual remix so everyone's further listening today is to go away and listen to black country disco tech if you haven't uh, indulged in it too much um so we'll leave that as a uh, bit of homework for everyone that's listening today. i would just recommend the two cover versions they're phenomenal and um that's what i'm gonna say (laughs) just because that's what you need to say yeah also we normally we would uh there's been no album artwork track today because it's all too good there's no time to talk about the album artwork but you've already touched upon it and we love the visuals i do think though will it'd be great to just mention some of the uh reviews accolades from the album because at some point you know sometimes doing that with the artist on air that could be a bit uh hairy but there were some phenomenal 
reviews from the album and also on the year-end lists. This did incredibly. And yeah, the the Guardian bloody loved it, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Uh, as well as um, being on uh, Gay Times top twenty albums by LGBTQ plus artists from twenty twenty as well. Um, and to be honest, if you have got the Guardian and Gay Times behind you, then uh, you must be doing something that, right. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> it's, it was it was lovely that that time of year, the end of twenty twenty, to just have. Uh, such a uh, renewed people were discovering it again for the first time because of all these lovely um, write-ups and everything I, I just like beyond my wildest dreams it's not why I do it but it's like the nicest feeling in the world we're out of time so oh. thank you so much Tom for joining us not only on our third birthday um, but also the first anniversary of Black Country Disco Ah, oh, well, happy birthday to all of us, BCD and uh, TBT. This has been our anniversary episode available to all, but don't forget our patrons are getting a week of episodes this week. So tomorrow we are celebrating 15 years of Scissor Sisters, ta-da! And I sound like a, someone saying goodbye, don't I, from like uh, Liverpool, ta-da! Um, and after that, it's St. Etienne's, Fox Base Alpha, which turns 30. After that, Artful Dodgers. It's all about the stragglers. And then if you're on the bonus disc version on Saturday, we are delving into some further listening from Bananarama. Oh, God, we've got a lot of recording to do. So do let us know uh, your thoughts on Tom Aspel's uh, Black Country Disco and on... Uh, do wish us happy birthday, actually. Yeah. Just right. say hello. At, at Track by Track UK across social media. So until next time, I've been Kim Wilde. I've been Kim Cattrall. And I've been Kim Sue. Goodbye. Bye. Um, which then goes into the next song, which is about fisting. <laughs> it's, not, it's not. It's not about fisting. Every hole. <laughs> Every hole isn't a goal. Sorry, I've I've brought the town down, haven't I? Sorry. No, we've just we've just reached the right level. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sorry. <laughs>